Hi, my name is Marcia Chatlin. I'm a professor of history at Georgetown University, but more importantly, I'm the host of Office Hours, a podcast. This is an opportunity to get a window into my world where I talk to students about the things that are most important to them. So please join us for Office Hours for the things we don't talk about in class. Today on Office Hours, I talked to Kendall Seesmeyer, advocate for organ donation, Georgetown alum, and co-founder of the Own It Summit, which is happening this weekend. So what is it like looking at this organization that you helped start and it grow without you here on campus? It's been a bittersweet experience, if I'm being completely honest. Um, I... Obviously, like, it's hard to watch things that you are so deeply connected to, like, take place without you because you feel, like, FOMO, like, fear of missing out totally on the experience. And I just know how much it has contributed to my life, um, especially my, like, time at Georgetown, how special it has been. And um, to be a little less involved, to be less involved, obviously, because I don't have boots on the ground, Um it's, it's hard, especially when you're, you know, you've graduated and you kind of are in this space of feeling just like pretty lost in, in, in life in general. Like, oh, wow, I've, I've graduated and my support system and you know, it was all over the country and, um, you know, I'm doing this nine to five job or in my case, it's really not nine to five, but, you know, I'm doing this everyday job. And I don't necessarily immediately feel connected to it. And I'm in a new city. And it's just like all of the things kind of compiled um, to make you kind of feel like, oh, well, like post-grad life, hmm, I don't know about this. Um, but so, you know, so watching the Own It Summit happen, like, and everything happen on campus, I just like desperately wanted to be a part <laughs> of it. But I also have this like awesome feeling of like, wow, this is incredible that something that I was so passionate about and started, was able to start here on campus, like has turned into something that lives beyond me, hopefully. Like that's really the goal for everyone. I mean, it's everyone who starts something, they want it to live beyond them, hopefully. I mean, you selfishly are like, wait, but I miss it. But you, you do in your heart of hearts, like want it to succeed and thrive without you. And I was involved from, uh, you know, a distance, but um, and I'm involved in the other Own It summits that are happening across the country, which has been great. But uh, yeah, it was it was great to come back and sit in the front row and be like a proud mom crying um, and watching just like these amazing young women, um, some who have gotten to know, some who I, are totally new to the team, just totally kill it. Yeah. I think that it's so funny that you talk about legacies because I think that considering how young you you are, you have created, that's, I think, your superpower, that you create things that last <laughs> and that you love connections. I remember, actually, the first time I met you, I don't know if you remember this, you were, I think, with Veronica Motley, and you yes. were on your way to do Sisters in Christ yeah. for, like, a. I think you guys were having a meeting, <laughs> and I... There is a way that you are like, hi, I'm Kendall. I'm going to make things happen. <laughs> so you were telling me, you're getting me connected to like another student or something. And then you just kind of like poof. <laughs> and, and a cloud of smoke just went somewhere else. And I thought, this is interesting. There's this like student who's very attentive to people feeling connected and getting to know yeah. people. And so where do you think that quality came from in you? 
Um, I, I, I think that's actually really interesting that you say that because I think I just am so interested in people and I just have had that quality since I was very little. I don't, for as long as I can remember, like I'd be like sitting in the waiting room at like the dentist and like telling, or like my mom was at the dentist or something. I was like sitting in the waiting room and like telling the people next to me, like my life story, like Mm -hmm. when I was five or something like that. Just like very interested in connecting with other people and also making connections happen elsewhere. Um, I always feel like what has been the most enriching part of my life has been relationships, bar none. Like the things I remember and the things that fill me up um, have been relationships. And and so I think that that's where I come from when I when I meet people. I'm like, okay, well, this is really great because this is really fulfilling to me. And I just think that that's – I just think that's what life's about. Along the way, you've made incredible relationships through your advocacy for organ donation and – for kids with chronic illnesses. And so what has that experience of, um, it's, so as a kid, you're like doing stuff for other kids, yeah. you know, that kind of relationship building, it's so rare at your age, but I feel like it's so fundamental to you. Can you tell like our listeners a little bit about that part of your story and, and when you started to kind of form relationships to help other people? Yeah, I mean, I think um, as I kind of go back a little bit, um, I was born with a rare liver disease, and I always knew I was going to need a transplant. I ended up having two liver transplants when I was 11, but, you know, kind of lived this, you know, chronic, like had a chronic illness since day one. And I think because of that inherent, that just like that struggle that I experienced, um, I had this sense of empathy at a very young age that I think most children don't. Um, and, you know, I saw people who were hurting or different or who felt different, even though you wouldn't necessarily look at me and say, she's different. Mm-hmm. I, I felt different. Mm-hmm. Um, and I didn't want anyone to know that I was different, but I felt it inside. And so therefore I was attracted to other people who also seemed different or, you know, my teacher in first grade, uh, sat the girl from the Czech Republic next to me mm-hmm. because she knew I was going to teach her English. And I went to, with her to ESL classes and I introduced her to all of my friends because that just was the kind of person I was. Um, and I took great joy in doing that because I think it filled a hole in me. Um, and so I think I've always had that awareness of struggle and people hurting. And I've always identified with that feeling and, and said, like, how can I make this better? Because if I can't make what's going on with me better, but I could make some some something else for someone else better. Um, and I think that, so that really, I think, is what led me to um, just being very transparent about my own story, which I, I hope helps other people understand that everyone has struggles, um, I think that's why I know that's why I started a nonprofit when I was 11 to help um, children living in sub-Saharan Africa because I saw a need on television when I was 11 that was like, this doesn't make sense to me. I can do something to help. Like, okay, I'm going to do it, you know? And I think that that's kind of been the tie that's really carried me throughout my life is like, I see a need and I go, I identify with that feeling of struggle and 
how can I, I might not be able to control my own circumstance. In fact, I cannot, you know, but in perhaps in order to cope with my own experience, I feel control in helping other people. I, I mean, maybe that's like the psychological like yeah, reasons I mean, behind it. it. And it can be. And I think that I remember um, after graduation, you were going to have a major surgery. Yes. And watching all of these people rally around you yeah. in this way where, you know, you were so in everyone's hearts because you, you were so c- clear about this is this is hard for me, mm-hmm. and you know this is what I need, and I think that there's something really beautiful about that because a large part of our culture is about hiding, I, yeah, 100%. about a mask of perfection, totally especially at a school like Georgetown. You know, all the kids are good looking, yeah. all the kids are high achieving, yeah. everyone's got this, and then you spend time, just a little time with people, and say, oh no, they've got a lot going on, yeah. and so I, I'm just curious to know how your personal faith helped you during that transition after graduation where you were going not only into adult a certain type of adulthood, but this yeah. very serious medical situation. Yeah. I mean, I would say that's, I, I, first off the, the idea of perfection just drives, it just drives me Isn't it the crazy. worst? <laughs> it just drives me absolutely crazy because I think that there's so many, I think there's so many world problems that would be solved if everyone realized that everyone around them was just hurting yeah. Um, just that you could just operate off of the assumption that everyone around you is in a constant state of like pain and distress. And I just think that that would change everything if yeah. people realize that. And so I, I feel like I also think I've always been really interested in sharing my story because I really think that I believe and what my faith teaches me to believe is that we are we are strong when we are weak and we have strength and weakness because it is in weakness that God's strength can really shine through. Um, And, you know, my favorite verse is, um, oh my gosh, I'm totally going to like butcher it now. It's um, that my, my strength is made perfect and my, my my strength is sufficient or my, what is my power is sufficient for you because my strength is my, wow, I'm totally butchering this. It's, uh, (laughs) my power is made in perfect weakness. So um, I think it's my strength is sufficient for you because my power is made in perfect weakness. That's the essence of it. And I really held on to that. Um, you know, it's, it's talking about Paul's thorn. Yeah. Um, and how Paul pleaded with God three times to like, you know, take this away from me. And he said, no, my grace is sufficient for you because my power is made in perfect weakness. That's the verse. <laughs> and, um, and I have held on to that so tightly for so many years because I had this complication from my second transplant that required me to have a tube in my side that was a very literal thorn for right. 11 years. Um, where I had a, For 11 years? 11 years. So I had from 11 to age 20, from age 11 from age to age 22. And I had a procedure every six weeks under general anesthesia to change it out. And that came a lot with a lot of complications, a lot of liver infections. I get a liver infection basically like twice a year and a lot of problems and just a whole level of uncertainty that was just madness. Um, I could be totally fine and then have a 103 degree fever within an hour and my whole life would be kind of just thrown up into flames really from, from that. And so I just really held on to this idea of like, no, when I am weak, I am strong because I have God's strength. Like, 
God is the one fortifying me. It is not my own. And I just think like, I don't know, like what I experienced through Kids Caring for Kids, the nonprofit I started when I was 11 was this um, unbelievable power and greatness that was so beyond what an 11 year old in a hospital bed could do. Um, it was rallying people from around across the country to support other people in need. And it was all coming from someone who was like in a very vulnerable and weak state themselves. Mm-hmm. And so it had really nothing to do with me. I, I very much felt like when I had started that, I had felt the call to start that. Like I, 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 have I remember very deeply the feeling of like this is what God is asking me to do and I don't know how you identify that at such a young age but I think there was a lot of innocence and um just I think when you're young you just have a lot less clouding your antenna and Mm -hmm. um I just felt like that was really what God was leading me to do and I think what what happens when you say yes and you take that leap to what God is calling you to do you end up seeing God's power in like amazing, incredible ways that is so beyond your personal ability to achieve anything. Um, And so I just feel really grateful that I've had that experience of like being able to see and understand like in my weakness, I, God's greatness can shine through and how can I live a life that shows that? And so when I, when I've, you know, had any kind of surgery or any kind of issue, you know, and especially in this horrible time of like me going, graduating basically into having this surgery. That it was, was within weeks, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, it was like a month out. And yeah. um, I was so worried about it because, I remember. yeah, it was really, it was a year of kind of deciding whether or not to have it because the surgery, a similar surgery had been done eight years ago and it hadn't worked. And so, and it was, you know, a big, big, major 13-hour surgery, like, huge, like, recovery process. And um, I was told that this surgery that I was going to have as I graduated would either make me better or a whole lot worse. And so it was kind of like a stake in the ground, and I had to choose. How did you make that decision? Um, well, I thought, if I don't do anything, I'll end up needing a third transplant. That right. had been very clear. And if I do something... I might end up needing a third transplant, but I also might be better. Mm-hmm. And like it could, I couldn't even conce- I, I couldn't conceptualize what being better would look like, mm. um, because in my mind, every I I just had I had accepted this as my fate since like they did had done a surgery that didn't work to try to fix it when I was in eighth grade, and so I just had accepted that I would have this tube, you know, through adulthood and a career in. And throughout my whole life, like I didn't know how it was going to work, but I knew that I just, I, I know I was so worried about that, but I know I knew I always made it work and it was always fine. So I just kept going. I just kept going and accepting like, okay, if this is what God wants for me. I'm going to do my best to live, live in like acceptance of it. Um, and so when I had this opportunity to like, you know, maybe not have this horrible tube, then I, you know, was, it was so hard. It was so hard to believe that it was possible, but I I think I didn't really have, I felt like, well, I don't have a ton to lose here. Yeah. I, I'm not going to end up in the same place I am now, which is very stable, but, but maybe I could be better. Did you feel like, so you have a lot going on a lot, <laughs> to yeah. say the There's least. A lot. Um, how do you, how do you have that? 
And then also give yourself permission to enjoy the things in front of you. Because the one thing I also know is you have tons of friends and you have a lot of fun. Yeah, and yeah. so how do you balance the weight, right, of, uh-huh. of this part of your life and and ensure that it's not the only part of your life? Yeah, well, I think that's also a personality characteristic, I think, in a lot of ways that I was, like, blessed with being um, just very stubborn and very determined and like, this is not going to define me mm-hmm. and I'm going to overcompensate so hard that I'm, <laughs> I'm not just like as good, famous last word, as good as you. I'm like, I'm living it better. You know, <laughs> I, I think that there's like a bit of that, like yeah. personal pride of like, ha, I'm doing this with all of this too. That, that you your know? liver isn't calling the shots. Yeah, yet. exactly. Yeah. My liver isn't calling the shots. My like life circumstances are calling the shots. I have the last say. And I really think that that's true of anyone in any circumstance, but there's a mental like strength that is very hard to tap into in order to achieve that. Like, I mean, I I would be totally dishonest if I said it's always easy or that I always am like, okay, right? I think there was a lot of, a lot of weight on me last year when I was deciding this surgery. Um, And it was sometimes really crushing, like very crushing. And I had a lot of amazing people around me to to like offer up you know oh stay a night with my family in my house like Georgetown administrators who like I went to their house on the weekend because I just like needed to not be around a bunch of kids Mm -hmm. like like kind of like acting a little like you know Mm -hmm. throwing you know drinking and things that you needed felt so um you can't believe this You're right felt so like shallow and mm-hmm. I'm like dealing with this huge huge thing that Absolutely. felt very hard and it was just hard that was like a very difficult thing to deal with that like difference between like what my friends were doing and what I felt do you feel like going to a, a catholic college made a difference in 100%. terms of dealing with that I don't I don't think it would have happened at other schools. I mean, maybe it would. Maybe I would have found those people in places, but I think it would have been a lot harder to mm-hmm. identify. And not that every person that I've been touched by here has been Catholic. Right. Certainly not. But I think that the identity of, you know, the Jesuit values and the spirituality that kind of surrounds that really prompts people to be different. Um, I really, I do believe that that is the Georgetown difference. Um, the secret sauce, you know. Yeah. Um, the reason that, I feel like, I don't know, I just feel like there's some de- like deeper purpose that everyone buys into, no matter what, no matter who, what you believe in or who you believe in or whatever it is. Like, I feel like at Georgetown, they challenge you to tap into this deeper purpose, whether it's for others or for a higher power, just something beyond yourself. And I feel like that is really what has, what made my experience. And as you think about your journey, do you feel like, God is calling you towards something else at this point. Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's so frustrating to me sometimes, I have to say, because I, when I was 11, it was so easy. It was right. so easy to buy into, like, right. God's, like, mm-hmm. call, you know? Like, mm-hmm. it was easy to hear it. It was easy to go, yeah, you know, because I had no, I was 11. I was so, like, innocent and naive and just, like, I had nothing like banking. I mean, nothing re- like that would be relying on the success of this call. You know, mm-hmm. like I think the stakes are so much higher, and you just have so much more fear when you're older because you yeah. know what the real world is, 
and you know that everyone else in the real world thinks that you're crazy. <laughs> if you think that God, that God or some higher power is like leading your life, like if you really believe in that, it the real world is really hard because everyone in the real world wants to tell you that that's like absolute crap, that you should not buy into that, that like that you should buy into the rat race, that mm-hmm. you should subject yourself to the extreme exhaustion and stress and anxiety of the proverbial like success ladder Mm -hmm. um and um god's idea of success and what god wants you to do is just absolutely separate from what the world wants i think in Mm -hmm. my life it's always been so it's really hard for me to like now to go you know what okay god i i get it and i'm like willing and able to to accept, even though, and and that's for me who has had this experience that has been so, um, so illustrative of God's power, Mm -hmm. you know? So I feel so grateful that I've had that and that, but I think that that's like really the only reason I would ever believe it could happen again or that I could feel that way or that, that God could have a calling on my life. And I, and I don't think that just because I'm, I feel like I'm in a, a period of like, confusion and then you know just lost a little bit and I don't really know what where I should be or what I should be doing I don't feel like that that God's not present or not right like doesn't have a still have a call in my life I don't think that God has like I don't think he ever leaves but I just don't feel it as much but I wonder for someone who has been through so much what do you do with your anger that you have sometimes um, you know, towards, you know, I think that this is like the classic paradigm, right? Yeah, like anger. A, an anger at a loving God who you don't oh, see that's in these moments. A classic yeah. Thing. But I don't know. I've, I've actually had, a, I've been super angry at God before. Definitely super angry. Um, but I think at the end of the day, like I've always felt like God's delivered me, right? Like that the reason that I made it through was God, not because of the circumstances. Mm-hmm. So like, and my, my old favorite verse when I was little was I can do all things through him who strengthens me. And I literally would just like repeat that to myself because I knew that like, yeah, I couldn't do it alone, but I had God on my side and he was going to deliver me from this horrible thing. And I don't know. I do. I, I am of the belief that like, that God might let things, bad things happen to you and that you're just going to have to like, because I think, and you see this in the Bible time and time again, like the people God has plans for, I mean, every God has plans for everyone, but the people he asks really big things, he asks really big things of people, but then he delivers them in really big ways. And so like, I don't think when you say yes to God, it's like, Oh yeah, it's gonna be a joy ride. Like I think it's actually the opposite. It's gonna be like a whole lot of heartbreak, a whole lot of struggle. But like at the end of the day, you're gonna be like, wow, like God's power is so much better than my own. I don't know. So it's it's hard to to remind myself of that, and I definitely still get angry. Um, but I do, I also like I don't believe that anger is productive beyond a certain point. And like if you have too much anger, then you need help dealing with that anger um and by a professional which i think is totally i don't know some people are like oh you don't need god because you don't need professional like help because you've got god which i think is so so false (laughs) like you definitely need professional help even if you have god like so 
Well, Kendall, to wrap up the, this beautiful conversation, um, there's a question I ask all the guests, as you know, if you listen to the podcast, about professors. And so when you look mm-hmm. back at your four years yes. at Georgetown, what do you think, um, what do you wish professors knew about you? Oh, about me? Wow, this is a hard question. Um, oh, I don't know. I feel like a lot of my professors I felt very understood by in a lot of ways. It's a good thing. Which I think is really lucky. But I think that the reason that happened was because I had academic accommodations. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had to bring those stupid sheets to professors at the beginning of every semester and say, mm-hmm. like, hey, I know this just is suggested that you like, go easy on me in attendance and, like, whatever, but here's my situation. And I think that not enough students feel like they can talk to their professors about real things. And I think professors are dying to talk to their students about real things, at least in my experience. I feel like, you know, there always are a few people that are a little, like, off. But, but you know, like, for the most part, the great majority have always been very open and, like, I think have been extremely supportive and like ready to be on my team because they knew. And I think a lot of professors just don't ever get to know. Um, and so I, I don't know if I think that my professors would, would be surprised by anything specific. I think perhaps that I didn't do the reading always. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you, Kendall. I'm I'm proud to be on your team, and I hope I can stay there forever. Oh, my gosh. I'm so grateful for you. Oh, I can't team. get enough. All right. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. Thank you for visiting Office Hours. Office Hours, a podcast, is a production of Dr. Marsha Chatlin and Alex Tyson. The views expressed on this podcast are those of the speakers and only the speakers. Join us on social media on Twitter at Office Hours Pod and on Instagram on Office Hours Podcast.